please turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate to this generation or to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to be stopped. And they both went down into the water, Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch was no longer with him. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. This morning's message is going to have more than sort of one focus and one lesson, but today I really want to speak to you about baptism. With September drawing near and summer coming to a close, the timing of this message is important before the river becomes unbearably cold. <laughs> Maybe that would be more memorable, actually. But some of you may be thinking about baptism already, and some of you may be not at all. So today's passage in the scriptures this morning is to help you think about why would one become baptized in the first place? And how would you come to make this decision? So the whole passage really centers around a man by the name of Philip. And we're first introduced to Philip in Acts chapter 6. So in Acts chapter 6, there's a, the church is growing really quickly. And a crisis emerges because of all the new converts. And there's a division between two groups of widows. Well, one, widows, one group of widows is being overlooked and not receiving as much food as the other group. And so the, the, the apostles recognize this is not a good thing. This is a crisis. This is, not a, um, this is going to create division in the church, and we need to deal with it quickly. And so they appoint seven men to serve the, to, um, in the ministry to take care of the food rationing to women. And so this, in chapter 6, verse 3, it says that these men had to be of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. Now, Stephen, is one, or Philip, I should say, is one of the first men chosen. And it's important, I think, to notice that the first role he had in the, in the church was not one of evangelism. His first role was one of service, just one of waiting on tables. And so we see Philip again um, later in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. And persecution has hit the church in Jerusalem, and the Christians are forced to flee Jerusalem because of what uh, Stephen is doing or um, Paul is doing. Saul back then, but 
Paul as we know him. And so it's, it's, it's crazy because he's throwing people in prison and creating havoc. And so they flee. And so this is really important to what happens to, to Philip next. Let's read verses 4 through 8 together to see what happens to Philip as he leaves from his job of waiting tables and where he goes. It says in verse 4, Therefore those who had been scattered went down preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they had heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were being healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. This would have been an event that all Christians would have loved to have been part of due to the nature of the, the incredible effect the gospel message was having. We, we, we call this type of thing in our context a revival. A revival broke out in uh, Samaria and people were being freed of demons. They were being healed of all their sicknesses and um, the people were responding to the message of Jesus. And what's amazing is Philip now moves from waiting tables to now being the chief evangelist in their area. And there would have been multiple people that would have fled to Samaria. He wouldn't have been the only one. And here he is taking a lead and preaching the gospel and God's using him mightily. So what's really, I think, important already, we see Philip as, man, as a man who basically started off obeying God in maybe what you'd call um, sort of like not sort of flashy ministries. He's just serving waiting tables, making sure widows have food. And next thing you know, just out of simple obedience to the very thing that God had put in his midst, now God is using him to a whole new level in a different way. And so the Lord's now going to use Philip again in verse 26. So let's read this. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. If you just look on the PowerPoint here, you can see that Philip was in Samaria in the north, and he's asked to go on a desert road to, from, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, that's about a 60-kilometer journey from Samaria to Jerusalem. Now, this was no easy task. There's no planes or trains or Uber in those days. And so this journey would be likely on foot. And so he had to get there before he could even get to the desert road of which the Spirit had called him to. To further the difficulty, we see no evidence of a traveling companion. This is a solo journey, a solo journey that the Lord has called Philip to go on. But even more significant, notice that the Spirit is very sparse on the details. He doesn't even know why he's going to that road. And he doesn't know even what to look for or who to look for. Think of this. His only instruction is get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's it. No further details as to anything else. Nothing about his security, you know, how many days he's to walk up and down this road, nothing. And this is a really, really, I think, important observation to make. Because the Bible doesn't even record what Philip was thinking. But I can tell you what I'd be thinking if I was Philip. This is my personality coming out to you now. Uh, Lord, um, big question number one. Why on earth would you ask me to leave Samaria? 
Have you seen what's going on there? This is what we live for as Christians, revival, people being freed of all demonic activity, people coming to Christ, healings, people getting, you know, just totally like leaving their old culture and their old religions behind and coming to know Jesus. Why in the world would you ask me to leave such an amazing time in history? Why, Lord? Second thing I'd be asking is, um, why aren't you giving me more details? I kind of would like to have more assurance, Lord, as to what this calling is about. I mean, what am I going there for? Who am I looking for, if anyone? If so, how will I even know who I'm looking for? How long do you want me to be there for? Will I be safe on my journey getting there? I could obey you, Lord, if you would give me a lot more details and reassure me. These are the kind of questions I would ask. And truthfully, they're the kind of questions that would delay me in obeying the Lord. Thankfully, Philip was not like me at times. Look at verse 26. Actually, verse 27. After he's called, it says, so he got up and went. He got up and went. No questions. No questions. He was confident in just obeying the Lord. Willing to leave the thriving ministry. No questioning the Lord. No debate. No yabat conversations. Just trust and obedience. Question is, what is the Lord asking of you and I today? That he wants us to be part of. That we might be delaying in. What is it that you want and I want more reinsurance in before we'll take those risks? God is still looking for Phillips today and the kind of men and women that are willing to get up and go when he asks us to. Now, verse 27 begins to give us a clue as to why Philip's obedience to God's commands was going to be of great significance. In verse 27, it says, he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So as Philip's traveling south, he, he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch, and so his questions are starting to now come to fruition as to why God sent him. And this, this fellow is described as a court official of the queen of Ethiopia. Um, and in charge of all of her treasure. So basically, he was responsible for handling the, que the queen's financial portfolio. If I were to use a contextual term that Canadians would understand, this guy was a gov government official, and I'd probably call him the Minister of Finance. So he's the Minister of Finance for the Queen of Ethiopia. Now, I think the most important observation here, though, is that he had been in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. He was there to worship. Now, why is that important? Remember, he's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. Secondly, he's Ethiopian, not Jewish. And he's, he's an African. And the fact that he went to 
uh, Jerusalem is really, really significant. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1, um, it says this regarding eunuchs. No one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So this guy goes to Jerusalem, and he isn't even allowed into certain parts of the temple, or even into the temple at all. There's no formal introductions, no life history. He sees the guy reading the scriptures, and he puts two and two together with now the, the vision that the Lord gave him earlier, and he cuts right to the chase. He runs right through the spiritual door that has been opened to him. And this is why he says, do you understand what you're reading? Now, Scripture doesn't record Philip's thoughts, but I could imagine him thinking something like this. Okay, Lord, I finally understand now why it was so important for me to obey you, despite the ministry of Samaria and despite the vagueness of your instruction to me. I get it now. Everything is making sense. And knowing Philip's heart already, he's probably excited. Lord, here's an opportunity for another one for the kingdom. And what a person to minister to, because this is God's way of bringing the gospel to Africa. He's from Ethiopia. Things have just started going like wildfire in Jerusalem. This is a great way to get the gospel spread to an entire continent is unreached for Jesus. Think about the churches in Africa now, today, and what Philip's obedience has led to. Now, this question, do you understand what you're reading, is a fair question. I can totally sympathize with the Ethiopian eunuch. One of the hardest books that I think for me to preach in this church would be Isaiah. Would you agree? Lord, when are you talking to Jerusalem for then? And when are you talking about the future that's never happened? That's really confusing at times. When is he dividing history? And when is it for both? Like, it's just, it's a mind-blowing book. And all the places and names and dates, it's like, I have no idea. Some of them don't even exist today in terms of our local ge geography, in terms of how to map them out. Isaiah is a tough book. So what a great question. Do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> I can sympathize with the Ethiopian eunuch. But I think there's an important lesson for us, too, because it's not just Isaiah that's difficult to understand. Sometimes the Bible in general can be difficult. And so I just want to give you a shout out to say, if you're in here and you're struggling with certain things and you don't understand them, even though I would never profess to be Philip and neither would other leaders in this church, if you need help understanding the Bible, you're in good company. And please come to those that you trust that know the word of God and ask for help. And we'll do our best to help you work through the questions that you have. We don't live sheltered, like, you know, behind closed doors, like we're here and available to you. And we gladly meet you in your homes or in the coffee shop, whatever it took for you to know God's word. So let's look at the scripture that caught the Ethiopians' attention. Verse 32, the passage of scripture which he was reading was, he was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he does not even open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. 
who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. The passage, of course, in mind here is Isaiah 53. And Isaiah is making a comparison between this particular man who was like a sheep going to the slaughter, a man who was going to stand before his executioners and remain silent, and he was going to be one to be publicly humiliated and receive no form of justice. Isaiah makes no mention of his name. And so the Ethiopian eunuch has a legitimate question in verse 33, or sorry, 34. He said to Philip, please tell me of whom does this prophet say this of himself or someone else? It's a great, uh, great question. And I love verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and began beginning from the scripture. He preached Jesus to him. So in answer to his question, who is he speaking of? Philip says he's speaking of Jesus. So Philip is teaching the Ethiopian eunuch some important truths, and these are important and truths for us as well. If you hear nothing else from my mouth today, hear these words. It was Jesus who had been led as a sheep to slaughter. It was Jesus who was silent before his executioners. It was Jesus who was publicly humiliated. It was Jesus who died with no form of justice. And here's the key thing. For the Ethiopian eunuch's um, benefit. All of that to show love to the Ethiopian eunuch. To offer him a forgiveness of sins and to offer him a relationship with him. The God that he'd been seeking in Jerusalem and in the Old Testament scriptures could be found and known through the offer of Jesus Christ's life on the cross for him. And through that forgiveness he'd received would gain eternal life. Jesus endured all the suffering so the Ethiopian eunuch could enter into relationship with God that he had just worshiped in Jerusalem and through the offer of the forgiveness of sins. So how did the eunuch respond? This is a really fascinating verse. Verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. We learned something of really important significance here. The fact that Luke records in verse 36 that after Philip preached Jesus, and the eunuch's immediate response was, look, water, shows you that part of preaching Jesus included the command to be baptized. Right? He preached Jesus to him. So what would you think he preached? Everything I just said about substitutionary atonement, forgiveness of sins, all that stuff, right? He said, look water. He obviously included in his message as a, as a symbol now of the forgiveness of sins you've received in Christ. Now you are to be baptized as a response to that grace shown you. This is a really great text for that. 
a really, really important observation. So Philip's, Philip's uh, preaching of Jesus included the need to be baptized as a follower of Jesus. And this is a lesson that's really important for us as a church as well. When we present the gospel, we should, we should do a better job in the presentation of pe when people want to receive Jesus as making baptism as part of our, our um, leading people to the Lord. And I can attest to one who's failed to do that. I've also attest to the one I failed to make it more immediate. How long was the time between receiving Christ and entering into the water? Six months? A year? A minute? Maybe we should be just taking some cues from Philip as to how the early church moved in salvation and what that immediate response looked like. Now, where did Philip get the idea from? I love this because Philip's not an apostle. His first ministry is to wait tables, right? His first tables, his first job is to wait tables. He's actually not an apostle. So where does he get it? Well, this is amazing. Did you know, actually, I, I learned something like a couple of years ago when we actually, Laurel, when we went to um, Jerusalem, I learned something new that I never knew before. I used to think that baptism was something unique to Christianity. It wasn't. It was unique to the Jewish faith, period. Christians, Christians then adopted the practice, practice of baptism and changed its meaning. So let's look at these PowerPoints. Go back one. So this is the southern steps of the temple in Jerusalem. It's hard to get a, an idea of how, how big this is, and that's only a portion of it. They're, they're, it's massive, just massive. In those steps are contained something called mikvahs. A mikvah is buried into, is carved into those steps, and there's multiple mikvahs there. Now, the Jews would purify themselves in these before several activities or after certain events that made them unclean. So they would ceremonially and ritualistically bathe in those mikvahs outside the temple steps whenever they thought they were unclean. Conversion to Judaism, if you want to become like a Gentile that wanted to become a Jew and follow the Mosaic law, you would be required to be sub submerged in those mikvahs as a sign that you are being ritually purified as a Gentile to enter the Jewish faith. This is all part of Jewish culture. John the Baptist comes along as a prophet. He extends that, moves it from the steps of Jerusalem, and moves it into the Jordan River and says, there's going to be one who's coming that's going to take away the sins of the world, the Messiah. Fast forward to Jesus' death and resurrection and look at Matthew 28 and verse 19. He's resurrected and he goes to the disciples and says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we have this movement forward from the temple steps to the Jordan River. Uh, and then now Christians are doing this world, uh, widely based on Jesus' command. And now I love now what Peter does with this. Peter's heard the instruction, and look at chapter 2 and verse 37 with me in Acts. Chapter 2, 37. 
He's, speak, he's preaching the gospel, and the Jews are convicted of the crucifying of Jesus. Now, when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Because we know we've killed Jesus. What do we do with this? How do we handle that guilt? Peter said to them, repent. So come clean with God that you screwed up. Confess your sins. And each of you now be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, move to verse um, 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and they were that day added about 3,000 souls. Now, here's what's really important. I struggled for years to go, where in the world did they baptize 3,000 people? When they're in the temple area, which is on a hill in dry land. It makes total sense now. Go back to the mikvah. Those are all over the steps of Jerusalem. After a Peter declared the gospel, they would have been using these temple steps on the southern side and baptizing people. And there were 3,000 people lined up with probably an apostle at each mikvah, putting people through, through, through. I mean, it must have been an incredible event. And it must have taken hours and hours to go through everyone. Isn't that cool? It's exciting. Archaeology helps us understand the, the, what the scriptures would have looked like in those days. So again, Philip's not an apostle, but he's trained by them. And so part of the message to carry on Jesus' command is to be baptized. Now, it's not a means by which we are forgiven. Baptism is not the means by which you are forgiven. If you have any worry about that or any contestant about that you go to acts chapter 15 acts chapter 15 is the jerusalem council and they say what must we do to be saved and there's a massive debate and the end result is you must have faith in jesus christ apart from any ritual but baptism was part of an outward expression of the inward change that happened when you received jesus christ by faith it's a love expression to him for what he's done for us. So he laid his life down on the cross. He was buried, if you will, in, in, in death. And, so, and then he was raised to new life. And so when we become baptized, we're saying, I'm dying to sin. I'm dying to self. And I am doing this as a picture of being raised to new life. And so the water is a, is a symbol of the spiritual realities that take place when you know Jesus. I want to leave you with one passage. And if we can fast forward to it here, Acts 19. I think there's actually a case. I shouldn't say I think. I'm convinced there's actually a biblical case for when there are times that one may cons consider rebaptism. When one might consider rebaptism. Let's look at this credible passage in Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. That's a key word, several believers. Do you receive, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. 
And they replied, the baptism of John. And Paul said, well, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were all about 12 men in all. This is important. Why did they get rebaptized? Because John had told them, I'm going to baptize you in one who is to come. And so in faith, they got baptized, believing there was one to come from God that was going to forgive sins and deal with and, and make them, like, you know, bring them into relationship with the Lord. And they embraced everything they knew about God at that time. And so rightly so, they're called believers because they're, they're fully obeying everything that John the, Pro, John the Baptist is teaching them. They're embracing all they know of God's way. But they don't know Jesus yet, and there hasn't been a crucifixion yet. So they come along and they meet Paul, and he recognizes their genuine faith. But they also, he also recognizes that they don't even know about the Holy Spirit, which was poured out at Pentecost. So as he's speaking to them, he gives them a fuller revelation of who Jesus is and what he'd come to do. And through a fuller understanding of the gospel and what Jesus meant to them, they wanted to get baptized as an expression of that. And I think that's really important. There are many people in here that have, might have got baptized in the past. And you might have done it, you know, like I speak probably to people who are baptized really young, who kind of always grew up in the Christian church. But maybe you got baptized at 10 or 11 and it was because mom and dad kind of really wanted you to or whatever. But maybe now as an adult, you realize, you're like, you know what? I didn't actually know what I was fully doing or I even, I had a faith, but I, now I know Jesus in a whole different way. And I can actually point to moments in my life where I actually fully committed to him and I totally understand the gospel. I think we can make a case for rebaptism in a situation like that. Do I think you have to? Do I think, do I think the word makes it mandatory no but i want to open that up to you this is totally between you and god for new believers in genesis house we we'd love to see you get baptized here in september but if any of you sort of relate to these acts 19 believers then please come talk to me as well and we'd love to rebaptize you if you know jesus in a whole new way and remember this is not about forgiveness of sins this is about your commitment to him and it's a symbol of what god's done in your life and the relationship you have with them. So let's finish the passage. Acts 19, or Acts uh, chapter 8. Verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos. As he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities, until he came to Caesarea. That's so matter of fact here, but another major supernatural event, hey? <laughs> Philip's got quite the supernatural experiences in his life. The Lord speaking to him to go to a desert road, and now he snatches him away and takes him somewhere. This is like time travel. But the Lord's not uh, confined to our physical boundaries and the laws of the universe the way we are. 
So interesting, Philip is now being used further to continue what he's already done, preaching the gospel in other places in the other parts of the world. And the eunuch, well, he goes away rejoicing. He goes away rejoicing. And no kidding, he'd come to Jerusalem to meet God, and he leaves knowing God and to the fullest measure. This was a celebratory day for the eunuch. And from what we can see from scripture, the first probably significant missionary to Africa. So what can we learn? There's probably 10 lessons we could take away from this, but I'll just give you five and you'll probably pick up on more that I've missed. But basically, the first one is that the Lord desires to partner with us in his kingdom work and reaching those who are unsaved. First kingdom work for Philip is to wait on tables. He moves from waiting tables to preaching the gospel in Samaria and now preaching the gospel to Philip, this one person, individual, and then going off to other cities all the way to um, Caesarea. The Lord could save everyone on his own accord. He could appear to people in dreams, visions, talk to them in audible voices. He can go after everyone individually, but that is not the primary way in which God operates. He desires to partner with us. That's why the scripture is really important when he says, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers. What's the point in praying if the Lord's going to do it all himself? He's desperate for us to partner with him. So he wants to use you. The question is, are you available? Second lesson. God asks us to be obedient to him despite the fullness of his revelation or certainty of our future. For me, this is the number one lesson from this whole passage. The Lord gives him very vague instruction calls him out of an amazing experience in ministry. Philip's number one sort of thought process was all that matters is that I obey God. That's it. I don't need to have all the answers. I just have to walk in obedience and trust him fully and let him sort out the details later for my life. If Philip hadn't gone, the Ethiopian eunuch would not have been saved that particular day, and the gospel would not have gone to Africa at that moment in history. You talk about a game changer. It's really important. So here's a question for us. Who does God have on your radar? Who is the Lord asking you to be part of their lives and to talk to them? Maybe it's not in the category of even sharing faith. How about anything in life? What are the ways in which the Lord is calling you to obey him? But you're not because you want the certainty of answers and the certainty of your future being assured. Please take a lesson from Philip. Obey that small, still voice and let the, the Lord work out the details later. Father, we give you thanks for the life of Philip. 
and just this amazing text. I mean, there's just so much in here. And Lord, I'm sure if Philip was to teach this, or uh, it would be taught with much more clarity and um, way more observations and life-changing applications, Lord. But this is, you know, we're still grateful for what was said and and the way you brought things to light, Lord. We pray now, Lord, that you would give us the encouraging, uh, give us your spirit to be feel encouraged to go out and live lives like Philip, to take um, take risks, take risks as Christians, and to be bold with the proclamation. I also pray that you'd work in the hearts of the people that who want to be baptized, that have made a profession of faith to you, that know you, and they want to actually come forward and say, "Yes, I want to make a public declaration of my faith." That that you would work in their hearts, and that you would um, have them respond soon, so that we can organize this service. Thank you for, that you have redeemed people in this church and um, that you're continuing to walk with them in their own growth with you, Lord. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.